Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Last Sunday, we began our summer series, and we're focusing on how every one of us can personally impact our world by loving our neighbor. Mitchell invited us to start literally with those who live right around us. We have, um, I have this um, magnet, if you didn't get one of these, I invite you to to pick it up and uh, put that on your refrigerator or wherever you want to place, place that to uh, remind you to think about your neighbors around you. Now, this was a bit convicting for me last Sunday. Um, we, we know our, most of our neighbors. Uh, we, we pretty much can describe at least those that are around us. We have a, <laughs> have a couple of neighbors that have been a bit of a challenge. One in particular, um, haven't really gotten to know her. She's not out much. She's an older lady, lives by herself across the street from us. We actually have a, a little medium, medium, how do you say that? Medium between um, us and her and the neighbors across the street. So there's this, this little cut through that, that you can go from one side of the street to the other. And I was having trouble with my car. I have an old Xterra. I love, it's just a truck for me. I like to use that. And uh, it's also a standard shift. So I get to clutch and go, and it doesn't go real fast, but I, I can pretend. And so I do. Well, I was having some starting problems. Couldn't figure out what was wrong. I have a friend that works on it. And uh, in the meantime, before he could work on it, it wouldn't always start, so with the standard shift, that's no big deal as long as you can get it rolling and you've got the clutch in, the ignition on, and you just pop the clutch out and it jerks and starts. That's, that's what happens. That's, that's kind of fun when you do that. And uh, that's what I was doing with the exterior. The only thing is that when you kind of by yourself, you have to think about where you're parking. And so, you know, if you're going to push that thing or get it rolling, you've got to be on a, a little bit of an incline there going down. And that's what this cut-through had. It, it had a little bit of an incline, so I knew if I couldn't get it started, I could just sort of give it a push, hop in, and go down, and then pop the clutch. Well, one Sunday after church, we go home. I drive, I, we, I think we may have come in two different cars that day. I drive the Xterra home, park it in that little cut through and get out and go in. We've had, dinner, we've had lunch. I'm sitting down enjoying um, a ball game. Well, all of a sudden there's this loud knock at the door or the bell, doorbell rings. And I look up and through the glass door, I can see two policemen. Well, that got my attention. And so I walk to the door a little anxious and then I look through the window and I'm seeing three police cars and they're at my door and I don't know what is going on and so when I get there to the door one of the policemen looks at me points across the street and says is that your car 
Well, the car was no longer in the cut-through. It was in the front yard of the neighbor across the street. Yeah. I said, yeah, <laughs> that's my car. So I go over there to get it out of the neighbor's yard. Fortunately, it didn't hit anything. It's just in the yard. I don't know what she thought I had been under the influence of. But anyway, I was... Um, walking over there and she, she and I really hadn't had a whole lot of interaction and she kind of faded back. And, but Paula had met her once or twice. And so when Paula realizes what's going on, she comes over across the street. And the first thing she says, just out loud for everybody to hear, is says, oh, we thought we would just drop in. <laughs> she didn't laugh. <laughs> so we're still working on that. And Mitchell kind of brought me under conviction last Sunday, so there, there may be some more work to do there with that neighbor. But, you know, regardless of how hard it might be, I love how Mitchell challenged us to recognize that we live where we live on purpose. God has placed us there so that our neighbors may know more of Him. And certainly loving our neighbors starts with those right around us physically. But the question for us today that I want to ask us to just spend a, a little time on is who else is my neighbor? Who else is my neighbor? And we're going to look at Luke 10, the same passage that Mitchell um, introduced to us last week. Um, he kept saying about two or three times through his, through his teaching that um, he, he would stop, he'd pull up. He said, well, Tom's going to do more about that later. And I, I should have probably taken better notes because I don't know really if I'm going to do what he was hoping. But I do know we want to unpack this passage. And so we're going to do that. Let's read together Luke 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, 
take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is God's word. When we were in Guatemala, I had the privilege to preach at their, one of their worship services. And I had Alex, the son-in-law of Kirk and Michelle, translating. Um, I told Kirk this morning I was teaching, I was going to miss Alex translating for me. But here's what I want to invite you to do. From God's Word and from what we say, there is a translator in the room, and he's the Holy Spirit. You listen to him. Alex, one time while I was doing my teaching about three-fourths of the way in, he stopped me after I said something, and he looked at me and he said, can I tell them something? (laughs) What was I going to (laughs) say? Well, of course. And I thought that was so neat because he started talking to them out of the thought and teaching that I had been doing toward what he felt they needed to hear. And he made it personal. He made it personal. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He makes it personal. So I invite you this morning to listen with ears for the Holy Spirit. The scene here is Jesus with his disciples and others around him. They're apparently sitting at a time of teaching and discussion. We don't have a whole lot of description about that, but I just sort of use my imagination and just have a fondness of the way so many got to sit with Jesus and listen to him share and actually have conversation with him. But the man, the lawyer, who really is a specialist in the law, of the Jewish law, he stood up. So that was an obvious attention getter. And obviously the text says he stood up to test or even challenge Jesus. Mitchell reminded us that really that's never a good idea. But he did. And his question for Jesus was, what shall I do to have eternal life. Well, Jesus turned the tables on him. And he said to the lawyer, how do you see it? Basically, he was saying, you're the specialist. You know the law. How do you see it? And so the lawyer went to two key passages with a convergence out of Deuteronomy 6, 5. He said, the law requires supreme love of God. And then he went to Leviticus 19.18, where he said, and then also you love one's neighbor. Now, Jesus heard that, and he simply said, I agree. You answer correctly. But he added something. He said, now do this, and you will live. Well, interestingly, when Jesus adds, do this, and you will live, it seems, there seems to be that the lawyer's squirming a bit. 
for one thing, he's standing there, kind of conspicuous, and, and Jesus has told him that he's answered correctly, so he knows the answer to his own question. But now he's been challenged and commanded, go live this. Well, I'm sure he was faced with the realization, as all of us are, I'm not sure I can fully pull that off. You see, none of us measure up. It's interesting to me that the answer to his question wasn't the correctness of the law. It was the person who was standing in front of him. Jesus was his answer. Jesus is our answer. The gospel is our answer. Because there is no other way to fulfill that law except in an abiding relationship with Jesus. And he felt that. But the text says desiring to justify himself. It's like somehow he's got to figure out a way to make doing the command more manageable to obey. So maybe a definition of neighbor would help him with that. And so he asked, who is my neighbor? And in response to that, Jesus tells the iconic parable that's been tagged as the Good Samaritan. Now, we've rebranded it for our series as the Good Neighbor. But let's unpack it a bit. Jesus says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Well, that's a 17-mile road. Literally, from Jerusalem to Jericho, it is going down. And it was a dangerous route through desert country. It, was, it had um, abundance of hills and caves in which robbers would hide and, and, and then come out to rob people along the way. Jesus' story of the traveler on this road, by implication a Jew, was attacked by the bandits who robbed him, even of his clothes, and left him for dead. And what Jesus is telling here is, a, is, is something that happened all the time. This was uh, something that was a real deal. And so, as he's telling this, the first two come upon the traveler, and they are a priest and a Levite. And you think, oh boy, th this guy's going to be okay. Now, there were three orders of um, religious hierarchy. There was the high priest, then there were priests, and then there were Levites. The priests made sacrifices. They connected people to the heart of God's mercy and led them to express love for God in ritual and worship. The Levites took care of all the support matters, the building, sacred vessels, lamps, musical liturgy. They were the associate pastors and staff. The Samaritan, on the other hand, belonged to a people who were hated and excluded by the Jews. Jesus doesn't say why the priest and Levite didn't help the traveler. It's possible that they thought he was dead and that if, he had, if they had touched him by ceremonial law, they would have not been able to function in their duties 
for they would be unclean. Or perhaps they were afraid, maybe of being attacked by the same robbers. Or maybe they just didn't want to bother with the inconvenience of helping the man. But before we go in and rush in and judge them so quickly, let's quickly remind ourselves where we might find our own place in that. When have we failed to really respond with opportunity? But regardless of the reason, it's noteworthy that those who were responsible to represent the greatest expression of supreme love to God did not act in value on the one needing help that was even one of them. It says in the scripture, they saw him. They saw him, but they passed on the other side of the road. In contrast, the Samaritan saw the man in a different way. When he saw him, he had compassion. And in that very moment, Jesus radically redefines who is a neighbor. Jesus asked a different question, do you notice? He didn't, he didn't ask who is my neighbor, he said which one of these do you think proved to be a neighbor? And there's only one obvious answer, the one who showed mercy. Notice that the Samaritan's action of mercy came from the way he saw him with compassion. There is the obvious difference of the Samaritan giving help to the traveler. But the significant difference was that he saw the traveler in a different way. Now, I've, I've always been one that gets intrigued by videos and scenes from movies that illustrate well a point. And I, and I have one that I wanted to share today, but I don't have a good track record of that. You see, if you were here a year and a half ago at Christmas, I, I did a teaching and, and I had just seen the movie Spider-Man No Way Home. And I, in my exuberance to use that, as an illustration, I told some things about it that really were supposed to be neat surprises for people who saw it. The problem was I, I told about it the weekend it had released on that hardly anybody had seen it. And I don't think anybody remembered what the teaching was about, but everybody remembered I spoiled Spider-Man. <laughs> but I don't think I'm going to run that risk here. But it, if you're familiar with the movie Avatar, I don't judge me. I like that movie. And uh, I like both of them. The first one better. And in, in, in both of them, there's those, a compelling scene where the main characters look at each other and the one character says to the other, I see you. Now, I just get goosebumps with that. I see you. Now, I know that phrase has been picked up. There's a song by it, and it's been used in a lot of different venues, but I want to recapture that phrase for a moment. You see, one of the earliest names of God is the God who sees. 
is the God who sees. If you look in Genesis 16, 13, Hagar, who's running from her, from Sarah, Abraham's wife, who has been treating Hagar mean because Sarah arranged for Hagar to have Abraham's son and she's pregnant and now Sarah is all bitter about it and being mean to Hagar and Hagar's running away. Hagar's all by herself, desolate on the road and an angel of the Lord comes and sees her and tells her to go back and assures her of the promise of her son being, a, being one with great many descendants. And Hagar names God at that point as the God, you are the God of seeing. You see, we love, we love because God loved us first. That's 1 John 4, 9. And I want to suggest to you that we can see others because God first sees us. He knows us. He comes to us. He comes to you and he sees you and what you need in your heart and in your life. And because we know what that's like when we receive Christ in our lives, we can now see others in the way he sees us. The word love, where it says, love your neighbor as yourself, it's even a word of evaluation. It means to recognize and esteem as a person. You see, that Samaritan saw that traveler on the road, came to that traveler, came down to where he was, and looked in his eyes and said, I see you. And he gave the help the traveler needed. The problem is we may go through the pathway of our lives as if we're doing a drive-through interaction. You know what I mean? You drive up to the speaker and you give your order and then if there's two windows, you go and you pay at the one window and you go to the other one and you get your food and you drive off. And how many times have we done that and never looked at the person who's given us the food or taken our money? That's drive-through interactions in the pathway of life. How often do we do that along the way and fail to take a moment and truly see somebody where they are, especially if they're in great need. Before we rush in even to help, do we see them as the person they are? Do we have that heart of compassion that goes deep to them? Sometimes there are people abandoned and lonely and struggling on the side of the road and we never know it because they're downcast, they're looking down, but they're not showing it other than just what they're struggling on in the inside. And it's until we have a heart of compassion and take a moment to see somebody, we may never discover there's a need to be met. There's a neighbor here that we need to help. 
Jesus defines our neighbor as anyone in our pathway of life who has a need that we can help meet with a heart of compassion. That's how he defines neighbor. So where do we go from here? In helping the traveler, the Samaritan did practical common sense things. And we want to support through this series things that we can get our, our head around and handles that we can grab a hold of to help us see our neighbor and act toward our neighbor and have that heart of compassion. We're going to look at good neighbor values. These are things we're going to look at and, and hear teaching, yes, hear teaching about but we're also going to hear stories of those who are seeking to live out these values just to give us some practical handles on how we can be a good neighbor. But for this week, Mitchell gave us an assignment last week. And if you haven't done this yet, go back to the magnet. Find those people around us physically, for they are indeed our neighbors. But what about those in our pathway who show up with need? What about those who are struggling that we need to discover they need a neighbor? This week, as you go through each day, keep your eyes and heart wide open. That's the assignment. Keep your eyes and heart wide open. Look for who you can see with gospel eyes. Maybe they're hurting outright, but maybe as you look into the eyes of someone, you will discover someone who's struggling within. Maybe you'll find somebody that needs to know that someone, especially God, sees them. Now, this could be pretty daunting. I mean, much like the lawyer, we might squirm a bit and want something that's a bit more manageable than this might feel. But it's only through an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ just as we're only able to fulfill a supreme love for God through that abiding relationship, it's only through an abiding relationship with Jesus we are able to love our neighbor as ourselves. The last thing I want us to do is to go out of here and say, I'm going to love our neighbor. No, love Jesus. Abide in Jesus. And let him invite you to love your neighbor. Remember, we love because he first loved us. And as we live in God's mercy, we will see others with his mercy. Because of the gospel active in our lives, we will see others with gospel eyes. The truth is that when we show up to show compassion, God is already there. He's already working in that person's life and drawing us to himself. Paul says in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you, 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's how we be a good neighbor, is in our relationship with God, where he invites us to see those that we need to meet. In Guatemala, there was a, we had the privilege of meeting the families um, that we were building homes with. That was really, the homes was one thing. We build homes, and, and they're really, they're one room, what we would probably think in terms of as an enlarged uh, shed. One room with wood frame, metal, sheet metal wrapped around it, but they're packed into a bamboo or uh, corn stalk house. And they got two or three families trying to live together and literally sleeping with the cows that they are trying to raise. So these homes were just a blessing to them. And they were such a blessing to us and as we tried to provide that for these folks in the village and we were supporting the pastors in that. So the, the invite wasn't just to go build the homes, it was build relationships. Get to know these folks, open up the opportunity for those who are serving them to know how to better support them. Well, there was a, like on our third day or third house that, that we were building, um, there was a young lady that we were building the house for, and she was there the whole day. She was, she was actually mixing up the cement for us. And then she'd go off, and she, she brought Coca-Cola for us and brought water for us. And she was just the premier servant, and we were just there working on the house. We would speak to her a little bit, and her name's Rosa. And at the end of the day, we were through with our part of the house and we were walking, we were going to walk away. And, uh, and, and, and that for us would have been the last time really to be there. There was another crew to come to put the sheet metal around it. I don't know what it was. Well, I do now. But as we started walking away, she was there, we were waving by, and then I just stopped. And I pointed to Alex, who was there, and I said, I need to talk to her because she didn't speak English, I can't speak Spanish. And so I just wanted to tell her how much I appreciated her serving us. And I wanted to tell her that she was like Jesus to us. But something prompted me to ask her, do you know Jesus? And, and Alex is translating back to me, and he to her and then back to me he says she says that Jesus is her main way and then he looked at me and he said you know what you know what she means and I said yes knowing that she didn't know Jesus as the only way the true way that she was mixing in some other things with that so we took that as a cue to talk to her about Jesus and the opportunity for relationship with him and we, we prayed with her. And Alex prayed for her. I said, Alex, just pray for her. And, and she, said, she stood there and we prayed for her. And we said, amen. And we started to leave. And then she started talking. And we started talking, I saw immediately 
emotion coming out of Alex. And I knew this was, there's something going on here. And as Alex translated to us, he started conveying from her how that she had a disease that caused convulsions. She would fall and hurt herself, pass out. For 17 years, she had had this disease. And everybody thought she was crazy. That's how they viewed her. She said, I've been so alone. I have not had anybody who cared for me until my husband. And then she said, I have my husband now and my, my two kids. And then she looked at us and she said, and now you've given me this home. And all of a sudden I realized we were seeing her. She was being seen and loved and regarded and valued. But I almost walked away. I almost said, we'll see you later and walked away. That wasn't me that turned back to her. That wasn't me. You see, Jesus was at work with her in her life, stirring her heart, drawing her to him. He just simply grabbed my arm and said, come here, come here. I got a conversation you need to have. And we did. That's what I'm saying about that abiding relationship with Jesus. Look for those opportunities in the pathway of your life when Jesus reaches out and goes, come here a moment. Look at this person. See them. That starts with a heart of compassion that only Jesus can give us fully. Our neighbor is anyone who has a need that we can help meet with a heart of compassion. That's the definition. I invite you to live in that this week. Come back and tell a story on the board out there. You don't have to give names, but just tell a story of how Jesus invited you to be a neighbor. We're going to take this time to respond to what God is stirring in your heart. You may have heard my words, but more importantly, I pray that you've heard from the Holy Spirit. And he's drawing you. And the first thing I want you to know is that God himself is looking at you and then saying, I see you. I see you. He is a God who sees. And he's inviting you to come and to be a part of what he wants to do in your life. We're going to sing the song, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord. That's what I'm inviting you to do. Invite God to be your vision, to be your source of life and strength. Where you're needing care, he's there. We'll have prayer.
counselors up front. They would love to pray with you about that. Or you may, as everyone stands to um, sing in a moment, you may want to just sit and pray. Or there may be somebody in the room you want to go pray with. That's okay. Just respond to what God stirs in your heart. And we desire to support you in that. Let us do that. Let us stand and sing our worship, but let us pray and respond to the Holy Spirit. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.